well. I'll say it ended well. It hasn't ended yet. We need to do our part and, uh, and get out. So, uh, well, praise the Lord. It's good to see everyone. Let's uh, bow our hearts and seek the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for all that you provide. Lord, I pray that as we hear, hear your word right now, as we look at your word, for, Father, I pray that you would just allow our hearts to be ready for your word. Lord, you've been preparing us, Father, for this day. Throughout the week, the things that have gone on, the things that have transpired, Lord, all the things that will continue this week, Lord, I pray that today would be an opportunity for us to draw near to you and know your heart, to know your love, and to know and have an understanding, Lord, of, of these, the passage that we're about to look at. Have your way with our service, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So praise the Lord. The last time we were here, or I was up here, we were in Mark 8. And we went from Mark 8 to verse 1 through 10. And it was the feeding of the 4,000. And we saw how Jesus, how he had entered previously, he had entered into Gentile territory. And, and when he did this, it was time for him and, the, and his disciples for one-on-one training. There was an incredible ministry to the, to the Gentiles. And so then we have him now uh, exiting or leaving and going into Jewish uh, territory. Uh, and, and in fact, in Mark chapter 8, and the verses will be on the, on the wall, but last time I was here, uh, verse 10, it, it, it pointed out that he left, he went to the district of Dalmanutha. And when he went to the, that district, he had left now the Gentile territory. And so here he is <clears throat> going back into a Jewish region, which is key because of what takes place. There's an incredible encounter that takes place, and I think there's a lot for us to learn in, in, in just a few words of, of Jesus. There's a lot, of us, a lot to learn in what takes place in this passage, uh, beginning at verse 11. So he's returning to Jewish uh, a region, uh, a region part of uh, Galilee. And the title of this message is Avoiding Common Spiritual Pitfalls. And the definition of a pitfall is a hidden or unsuspected danger or difficulty. And there's a lot of those in this passage and that Jesus actually points out or warns about. So let's, let's get started. In Mark chapter 8, verse 11, beginning at verse 11, let's look at this encounter with Christ. So Jesus is leaving the, the Gentile territory. He's going into the Jew, Jewish region, which is key, because look at what happens in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So here, immediately, the Pharisees, he's been traveling, he's been having crowds, he's just fed 4,000, word is out, Jesus is healing, he's preaching truth, people are understanding who he is, or who he claims he is, and the Pharisees show up, it says they came out, or they, they came out, I think in some of their translations, and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So this, these Pharisees, we've talked about the Pharisees before. These Pharisees, they felt threatened. There was a, a spiritual problem going on or a battle for them. They were in the mode of rejecting Christ. They're, they were threatened for their positions because after all, they were the religious leaders that everyone looked at and thought, there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Matthew's account, we see that the, the Sadducees are there as well. We do see them mentioned secondary, so it seems as though the Pharisees were in control or in charge of this encounter. Here it says the Pharisees came. They came out. These guys were, it meant to be separate, or the separate ones, the Pharisees. And they had a rigid adherence to uh, the rituals, uh, tradition, legalism. They became ultimately legalistic and self-righteous. 
So you could see with Jesus coming on the scene, they had an issue with that. They had a problem, and they, their roles or their positioning among the people, among the people, was being threatened. And so they come out and they began to argue with Christ, who had just, as we la- learned last time, fed 4,000 and uh, many different types of people that we've, we talked about. So we have these, the Pharisees. And when you look at the Pharisees, to be fair, <laughs> I didn't think of that. That just came out. But to be fair, thinking of the Pharisees, you have uh, those such as uh, Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus at night, and he said, hey, listen, no, we've been, he didn't say it like that, but he said, basically, we've been talking, we want to know who you are, you of God. And they were inquiring. They wanted to know about Christ. So you had people like Nicodemus, and those that were, as we see throughout scriptures, that were being saved and were believing, or desiring to believe. They were open to, who is this Christ? And then you have the, the other extreme. So from sincerity uh, among the Pharisees, uh, reasonable inquiry, you had those that were self-righteous religious leaders. And Jesus had a lot to say about those with those heart sets. In fact, let me read just a couple of things that Jesus said, how he referred to them in, in different uh, passages throughout the scriptures. He said, but woe to you, Pharisees, Disregard, you disregard justice and, love, and, and the love of God. So he was pointing out their issues. He, he helped them. He was helping them with these words because he was trying to snap them out of it. He, said, he went on and said, you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings that they would get in, in, in the, around the, the, the area because people saw them as the religious leaders. He referred to them as hypocrites, who loved to be seen by men. You see, they had a heart problem. And Jesus was trying to bring it to their attention throughout Scripture that we see. And these people with a heart problem were testing Jesus. They came to argue with him after he just fulfilled some great ministry to over 4,000 people. Over 4,000. And so, as we move on in verse 12, let's look at the Lord's heart. It it's just jumps off the pages to us. Mark chapter 8, verse 12, it reads this way. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Truly. It's a powerful words. What Jesus is saying here is incredibly powerful, and it was powerful then, it's powerful now. Because of what we're looking at, these common mistakes that we can make, Jesus is addressing here. And so we need to be transparent before God this morning and ask him, Lord, show me where maybe I'm failing in my heart. And when we do that, we're not looking so much at the Pharisees. We're not looking at the guy or girl sitting next to you. We're asking the Lord to reveal our hearts this morning. So 8.12, it says he sighed deeply in his spirit. Now, from verses 1 through 10, we see him feeding, having compassion. He says, I have compassion on the people, Jesus said. And we looked at the word compassion. We see his heart, his care for them, his desire for them to make sure they were okay. And he wanted to provide for them. Well, here he sighed deeply because he's, he had just ministered to the multitude. Those, that multitude of 4,000 spent about three days out there with Jesus, didn't have food, and he had compassion, and he fed them. 
But now we see the Lord's heart and he's sighing deeply in his spirit because these Pharisees approach him as he goes back into Jewish territory. He sighed deeply. Anastenadzo is the Greek word and it means deep from within. So it's a sincere... It's a sincere sigh from deep in his spirit. There's a disappointment and a brokenness, I believe we see here in Jesus' heart. He's coming before these religious leaders and they're arguing with him. And he sighs deeply in his spirit. You see, he's responding, if you will, to some of the individuals, the religious leaders, who should have been most able and most eager to know Christ. But yet they were in a mode of rejection. So there's sadness there in the Lord's heart. There's sadness in the Lord's heart every day. And perhaps even right now because of a heart set in this room. Of a heart set of rejection. A heart set of testing the Lord. And his heart, we see, he sighs deeply in his spirit. You see, Jesus didn't come to prove himself or to be there to provide miracles on command. So there has to be some sort of frustration, a sadness in this sigh when we think of what the Lord is going through. In fact, what Jesus did show up to do was to invite people to seek and to save that has been lost, right? And they don't get it. He is there to be lifted up, to die for the world, to provide salvation. And he's sighing because they don't get it. Maybe they do get it, but they reject anyway. In verse 13, it says this, and this is powerful words here, when he says, it says this, and he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. He left them. He was there for them. They came to him. He didn't reject them. They've already rejected him. And he says, why does this generation seek a sign? And he leaves them. He got into the boat and went to the other side. Look at verse 14. Because in verse 14, we see, I think, one of the first uh, common mistakes that, is, that can be made. One of the first uh, common spiritual mistakes, if you will, uh, the pitfalls. It says in verse 14, Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Now, remember, he just fed the, uh, the 4,000, and there was lots of leftovers. There was lots of leftovers. They get in the boat, and they leave, and it says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They forgot to bring some of the bread. Now, I believe this is the first mistake, if you will, if you're taking notes. First out of maybe five. Um, it's a common mistake. It's a spiritual uh, bad mistake that takes place when we forget our encounters with the Lord. When He does something amazing and incredible in our lives, or maybe in the lives of your neighbor, and you see a change, you see a restoration, a renewal, regeneration, and we forget that encounter. Well, these guys were, they just were there for the uh, 4,000 feeding and probably, and as you can see, and you can imagine, blown away. And with all the leftovers there, they forgot the bread. Now, how did they forget? 
How did they forget to bring bread? There was an abundance after he fed 4,000. But I mean, even myself, I would have probably been more like, I'm taking these as souvenirs, you know? I would have made sure I had some bread. I mean, that's obviously I would take it for the food, but I'd be amazed, like, look, look, where did this come from? This is of God, you know? And it's provision. But how did they forget? You know, it's, it's easy to forget things, even spiritual things sometimes, even our encounters with God. You know, on a natural level, I often forget things. You know, there's times I get ready in, in the morning and, or even at night and for the next day. I'll set things aside. I have a certain tray that I have in my office where I put my things and whatever. Sometimes I'm taking something a little extra. Maybe an extra book, maybe a folder with some notes or something. And I'll put it right there with all my stuff. Wake up in the morning, there it is, I'm ready to go. I leave and I'm driving to work or I'm sitting at my desk and I'm thinking, where's my folder? And I'm thinking, where's my folder? I had it ready, I prepared, it was everything was ready with my keys. And then I start thinking, thinking, and I play back and I remember picking up and I remember leaving it at home. And it's so easy to forget things. But here, the Lord is moving, and they forgot to bring bread. So I believe that's a very common mistake for us. And the scriptures say in Psalm 103, verse 2, it's in 103, verse 2, it says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And look at uh, this same verse in the New Living Translation. I like it, the way it puts it this way. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Benefits. Gemol is that word. It means his treatment, or it means treatment. And it's rooted in a word, gamal. That's what it's rooted in, to deal fully with, to repay. As followers of the Lord, there are things that are beneficial to us that we forego when we're not following Christ or maybe not in, in obedience or in his will. So we, but we can't forget the things that he does for us. And that's too common. So that, that first one is, here's some of the things we should forget. In Philippians 3.13, uh, it says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I have focused on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to, re to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. When we get caught up in the past, when we get caught up in the things of, that are anchoring us down, we don't make much progress. And so we got to forget the past. Those are the things we should forget. We don't want to forget the Lord. The word, that life is so busy. You have deadlines next week. You have uh, bids to make for a, a job. And you have to feed your children. And, you know, you have to find time for the word. And you, all life is, is you know, there's a big game this week. There's things that get in the way with the Lord. And we can end up forgetting about God and the wonderful things or the, the treatment that he has for us. In Deuteronomy 6.12, it says, Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We cannot forget what the Lord's delivered us from. The minute we forget that where he delivered us from, then it just seems par for the course. And we, start, we, we lose compassion for the lost, and we become somewhat spiritually entitled, which is another thing we'll talk about. In Psalm 106, verse 21, it says, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Gadol. There's that word, Gadol. And it means great, important, and powerful things. When the Lord moves, it's powerful. You might 
maybe not see it, but when the Lord just changes you, uh, your direction in a small degree, it's powerful because of where it takes us. And we have to keep that in mind continually lest we forget about God. So that first one is forgetting our encounters with the Lord. Very dangerous. Now look at verse 15, Mark 8, 15. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So here Jesus gives a warning. We're, getting, we're seeing counsel from the Lord in this passage. Some people will look for the brothers and sisters for counseling. They the, the pray and what have you. And there's a lot of counsel in the word of God. Look at this passage right here. And there's some counsel for us, for all of us. I don't need to make an appointment. I just need to open up my Bible and I'm getting counseled by the Lord. He cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of, of Herod. Watch out. Horato. Horato is the Greek word. And that Greek word means to become acquainted with. Properly stare. He's basically saying, look out. Keep your eyes open. Look out is what the Lord is telling us. And he says, beware, which is blepo in the Greek. And it means to perceive, have an understanding, which means to discern. Watch out. Be discerning. Don't just go through life. You know, when you're walking in the dark, you use a flashlight. You know, when you're walking across the street, you don't close your eyes. You keep watch and you're, you're careful. You're, you're aware of your surroundings. And so the Lord has given us counsel here to look out and be uh, discerning. You see, we look at this passage and we see the Lord's desire to guard us from things that are destructive to us from people who are destructive to us. Thinking that can be destructive to us, much like the Pharisees, their mindset. And so here he is giving wise counsel. He is warning us, and he's giving us what a heads up with life. And here's a verse that we're all familiar with in Ecclesiastes 9.18. It begins with saying, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Watch out for that one sinner. Watch out for that Pharisee, that person, that mindset, that philosophy, because it can be very destructive of the good that you have in your life, the things that the Lord has provided in your life, the direction that He's pointed you. It can cause you to turn back, ultimately but it can cause you to be off course. So this testing, if you will, or this uh, from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the Sadducees, was a very sneaky way to dissuade people. Very sneaky when you think of the people that are lis listening and watching. So we need to watch out for mockers, for those people that will try to uh, question the Lord in the wrong way. So there we see some counsel from the Lord. Now, Let's move on to verse 16. In verse 16, what takes place here, in the next few passages, is the discussion between the, the disciples. It's because they forgot the bread. And they began discussing with one another. This is Jesus after saying, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. We forgot bread. Watch out for the leaven. Now they're like bread, leaven. They're getting it. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And, and that's on them. They forgot the bread. They physically forgot the bread, bread like me when I'm getting ready for work and I leave everything at home. There's times I call Carol and I says, you know those notes that are on my desk that I left? Can you take a picture of them and send them to me? <laughs> I just completely forgot them. I need them. 
And so it goes on and says, and Jesus was aware of this. He sees that they're confused. And Jesus sees when we're confused. He sees when we're like, I don't get it. Um, how should I, how does this, what does this passage mean? You, you know, you, you, you're you reading scriptures, you're talking to the brothers, you're in a Bible study, you ask questions. Jesus is aware of this and he says to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? You see, Jesus is trying to get something across. We just ministered to all these people, the Gentiles, and we fed 4,000, we healed all these people, and, and things that were going on, and the woman with a, a daughter who was demon-possessed, all these things go on, and he comes back into Jewish territory, and he's challenged by the religious leaders among the Jews. And then they forget their bread, and he says, you know, fine, but watch out for the leaven. Did you just see what took place? Do you see why I got up and we left? I left them? So he's saying, and then in verse 18 he says, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? And so he's saying, guys, get back on the spiritual level here with me. I'm not talking about the bread and the, and the physical, the natural provision I gave you. I'm trying to provide you here with something powerful, spiritual, that will guard you. And so it goes on, and, and it says, uh, do you, and do you not remember? There's that remembering again. How important it is to remember the things of God and how the Lord moves. Taking a spiritual inventory is important for us. To have a spiritual inventory, to keep it and maintain it. Uh, you know, I, I haven't done this so much so as detailed as I used to where I would keep a list of the things I'm praying for the situations like for example the the uh, what Jimmy mentioned about um, uh, the gentleman Steve Doug's brother that uh, is having the surgery you know I would write it down and pray and, and make and keep the date and what have you and and then and then uh, update it and as some as things take place and I remember once going through that journal that I have and seeing things and I remember praying for my brother my actual sibling and praying for something and then and then remembering that was answered how the Lord moved in that in that area and it brought joy to me because and what did it do it excited me about God again and prayer because I had a spiritual inventory you don't have to physically write it down but in our hearts remembering the things that God does and that he can do so in Mark 19 uh, through 20 it goes on and it says do you not remember and then he, he describes what they're supposed to remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up and they said to them twelve and then seven for the four thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up and they said to him seven so here he's reminding them, do you remember all the, what I've done and the leftovers and what have you? And so with the 5,000 people, there was 12 baskets uh, left. Seven, uh, with the 4,000 people, there was seven baskets and even a greater leftovers. I mean, who loves leftovers? Anybody? Depends what's made, right? Sometimes leftovers are even better than the first time. You know, there was uh, just recently Carol made some thing and, and uh, I forget what it's called, whatever. But she made this chicken thing and it was delicious. And I, I just, I thanked her probably five times while I'm eating it. And, uh, and I'm done. And then the next day, hey, what do, you want, what do you want to do for dinner? And I was thinking of going somewhere, what have you. And she's, well, I have that thing I made. You know, I'm like, mm, 
eh, leftovers, I don't know. And just the thought, the word leftovers. I don't want anything left over. But I thought, you know what, it's, it's more convenient and there's, there's leftovers, so let's eat it. I ate it and it was like part two all over again. Delicious. And I think, you know, I'm so glad I had my leftovers. I even thanked her probably another five times. Delicious. But leftovers. And the Lord provides and when he provides, he provides in an abundance. So that there is leftovers. That we don't just put them aside and, wow, that was really good. What's next? Because something happens to our heart when it's what's next. As opposed to, look what the Lord has done. And so in verse 21, 821, it says, And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? In other words, guys, pay attention. Pay attention. Didn't you just see what happened? We just got back and we were approached by the religious leaders. And after what we've just been through, pay attention. And so at verse 21 is the end of our passage, but I want to back up. Backing up to that warning, that admonishment of the Lord. We need to review that. We need to dissect that and get the other four common pitfalls that can take place in our hearts. Because after all, we're looking at the extreme, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then wherever you might be and how we can gradually become like them. So we need to look deeper. Jesus is basically saying, never mind the bread, watch out for the leaven. A beautiful play on the, on the bread here is taking place. And in Matthew's account, in, in verse 16, verse 12, the Pharisees get it. It kind of just shows where, how they, they came along and they realized that he wasn't talking about uh, um, leaven of bread, but the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The heart set of the religious leaders. The second, the second spiritual, common spiritual pitfall is... In verse 11, it says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. That second pitfall is becoming under the influence. When we become under the influence, under the influence of a philosophy, a doubter, a mocker, when we fall under the influence, there is great destruction that can take place, as we saw in Ecclesiastes. The Pharisees came, and the Sadducees. There was an... This is something incredible, by the way. The Pharisees and the Sadducees united. They were in one accord, if you will. And I don't mean they drove up in an accord, a Honda Accord. That's an old joke from the Book of Acts, but another day. <laughs> uh, pastors, we love those. We love those old gentlemen. Okay. But, so they were in one accord of Pharisees and the Sadducees who hated each other. They hated each other, but they were in unity here. They were unity in unity for the sake of lies and deception. For destruction of people, for the many. And so, we need to guard ourselves that we don't become, uh, become under the influence of someone who is trying to that is ultimately working for Satan. That is ultimately deceiving us, causing us to have thoughts that weren't there, that didn't exist until this person spoke, or I heard this, or I heard them arguing a point, like the Pharisees did publicly. So 
Um, so we, that is, that's amazing in itself, but being under the influence of somebody or someone and watching uh, the, the contradictions and what have you that come up. The Pharisees came, they argued, they were looking for a sign from heaven. Not just a sign, they wanted something grand from heaven to test him. In Luke 4, 12, it says this. It says, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God, is what he spoke to the enemy. Not to test the Lord. And it says in Deuteronomy 6, 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massah. Massah was a place that refers to a, a temptation, a, te a testing, which is interesting. But the Pharisees, these religious leaders and the Sadducees, they tested the Lord rather than trusted the Lord. In Psalm 26.4, we need to guard ourselves from that second pitfall and not to become under the influence of mockers and deceivers. In Psalm 26 verse 4, it says, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor keep company with hypocrites. I do not, and so that's how, that verse we need to take on. That needs to be our lives. That we're not surrounding ourselves in places that become a pitfall. That we don't realize. That we don't realize that, you know what, perhaps I'm not ready for this discussion. Perhaps I'm not ready to defend this I need to learn and grow close to the Lord. You know, if I have my son and he's a little boy, I'm not going to just put him out with the wolves. I'm going to teach him how to be a shepherd. I'm going to teach him how to survive, how to live, how to thrive before I place him in a place where there's pitfalls. But I prepare him so he's ready for it and not caught off guard. And so we need to guard ourselves from becoming under the influence. And I do not sit with deceitful men or keep company with hypocrites because it'll rub off. We all know that. We, I mean, I, I remember back um, working when I was doing IT, and we, I'd work in this, the computer room with this one guy, and he was the biggest complainer. Biggest complainer. And me, I was like, yeah, well, you know, that, this is work. That's what we do. We have to put up with people who complain. This is IT, you know. We're the best people in the world when nothing's needed, but when the system crashes, we're the devil. So all the complain and his complaining attitude started to rub off on me. I started to get an attitude and think, yeah, you know what? We work hard, you know? And so being around the wrong people can, take, can cause a, a spiritual deception. So we've got to watch out for the mockers. The Pharisees came. Well, the Pharisees come in many ways in our lives. Not just some religious leader or something you turn on and listen to this preacher or, or whatever, or, or a mocker or what have you. But... Um, they're, they're, they, they, it comes in different ways, different people, different uh, attitudes that we're surrounding ourselves with. So these religious leaders were not dumb. They were purposely creating a scene. They were attempting to dissuade uh, people. And the devil is not dumb either because he continues to try and uh, uh, get us under the influence. Number three, Verse, verse 11, uh, back to verse 11. Number three is this spiritual entitlement that we can adopt, that can rub off on us. And if we had a room full of Pharisees here, I, I just know, knowing how hearts work and how humans are, how we are, some will be persuaded to become uh, uh, pharisaical. And so we got to guard ourselves. But having a spiritual uh, entitlement, if you will, uh, it, because what we're looking at here is a battle for the throne of our heart. 
and this battle is in motion at this point. The Pharisees came and began to argue and seeking with him from him a sign from heaven. Argue. They began, began to argue, which is sudieteo. Sudieteo. And it means to dispute, to question. There's healthy questions. There's healthy things that we want to know. There are actually healthy doubts that we need to seek the Lord. Lord, reveal this to me. Help me understand this. Help me understand your heart in this situation. This is a difficult one for me. Or whatever it might be, there's a whole heart set behind that. Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm coming to you. Not, hey, what is, why would you think Jesus said this? And then I'm talking over here and, and, and I'm not getting truth. And so we could end up with a spiritual entitlement. You know what? Uh, the uh, women's retreat, which just happened. You know, I, I, I um, understand they had a game of, uh, uh, what do you call that when you walk, get a chair? Musical chairs. Musical chairs. And it was quite fascinating and fun. <laughs> because there was a battle for the seat. And when, you, when I, I, I actually saw footage. And uh, it's pretty radical. Uh, you know, I think the men should do that. I think if the men had a game of, of musical chairs, there'd be a fight. The retreat would be over. Somebody would punch somebody. No. <laughs> well, if, they, if we played the way they did. And I saw this battle, and two ladies pushing and pulling and falling off the chair. It was fun, beautiful, great, because I know the heart set behind it. But when the heart set is evil and wrong, and we're battling the Lord for the throne of our heart, it's ugly. It's, it's a horrific, spiritually horrific scene that is going on in our hearts when we become spiritually entitled, like the Pharisees, and we begin to uh, feel threatened, or we start to resist the Lord. We're in danger of rejecting Him. So it says here that they said, prove, prove yourself to me, is what they're saying. They wanted a test from heaven. They wanted a heaven type of miracle. Not just an everyday miracle or something to prove something. They wanted to see him prove. But you see, they developed a, a false sense of authority over God. They basically set the guidelines. or the, the, They basically said, perform for us on command. And then we'll be the judge of who you are. And that's how we can become. Lord, prove to me this. And then maybe I'll give up the throne of my heart. It's a very dangerous thing that can take place when we become spiritually entitled and we start telling him of our standards and I'll give up more of the throne or, I'll, I'll, or I think maybe I should be sitting there because you are not working out to my standards. And the Pharisees placed some standards. They wanted a test, heaven size, and they were doing this so the people could see they had this spent, uh, sense of spiritual entitlement, which is incredibly destructive to us. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. This is Proverbs 16.5. Be assured he will not go unpunished. That's powerful. When we start to become the person who determines who God is or how big he is. Arrogant, gaboa, means proud, haughty, a high position to be exalted. When we begin to exalt ourselves, we become this arrogant, this arrogance in our heart takes place. We need to guard from that. We all need a, to hold fast to a spiritual, healthy, the change that took place with us when we met the Lord. 
In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. Remember this? When Peter saw that he, he fell down, when he saw Jesus pull in all these, the fish, and he told him to bring him in, and he's, wow, this is crazy. Look who the Lord is. He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That heart set, far from a spiritual entitlement. In other words, I'm not worthy to be even in your presence. That's the mindset, the heart set that we should have before God Almighty, before the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 5, 8 in the New Living Translation says, When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. Um, with, before you, Lord, I don't deserve to be near you. That's a healthy understanding of who God is that we need to hold on to so that we don't fall to that third uh, um, pitfall of spiritual entitlement. The fourth one. The fourth one is simply not seeking the Lord with all of our heart. Not seeking the Lord with our whole heart. The scriptures talk a lot about seeking the Lord with our whole heart. But when we seek with the wrong reasons that are developing or take place, like these Pharisees in Mark 8.11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Seeking, they were zeteo, which is to crave, to demand something from someone. They were demanding something from Christ. A sign, which is semeon in the Greek. And semeon means an unusual occurrence, miracles, a wonders. Do something for me, and I'll be the judge. So with all the wrong reasons, though, they're seeking a sign. And so when we think about signs, and you're looking for something to justify or, or to be satisfied of who God is, or how much you should worship him, or whether how much of the throne he should have of your heart. You know, we have to consider the enemy. In Ephesians 6.11, it says this about him. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, the strategies of the devil, the methodia in the Greek of the devil, his craftiness, his tricks. It refers to trickery, deceit, and so the, the, the enemy says, oh, you want a sign? I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to allow, uh, as you're reading that weird um, Gnostic gospel or whatever it is, um, a butterfly will, will go by. That'll be a sign that it's of God. And we fall for these things, silly things. Or, you know what? It must be God that he sent this person for me or whatever. And the enemy sees what you'll fall for, and he strategizes. He tries to deceive you and trick us all of us, and we're all susceptible to it when we're outside of the, the, will, the will of God, when we don't have that, that, mind, that heart set of Peter, of who God is and who I am, it, I will fall for things. And so we got to be careful of his trickery, his deceit, his lies of deceptions. You know, thinking of, of, of deceptions and trickery and all, um, you ever if you watch college football, you ever see when the, on the sidelines they're holding up these signs and there's like four pictures? You know, you have a picture of the president, you have a picture of a chicken or an egg, and they all mean something and some don't mean anything. And there's these signs to get the play in or what have you, a defense, an offensive play, whatever it might be, and it could be very deceptive. If you're looking for the signs, oh, that must mean this. That must mean that, because you operate off a of sign after sign instead of what the Lord has revealed in his word. And so it can be very deceptive. And I, when I taught, uh, when I taught, when I coached uh, youth football, 
these little guys, you know, and you're coaching, and you can't think of the mindset of a, of a young kid. And I would teach the, I would coach the defense. And so what I would tell the defense at practice, that sometimes I would tell them, hey, guys, listen, now these aren't going to mean anything. But I want you to, at, when you're out there on the field, yell this out. You know, the, the linebacker, the middle linebacker, yell this out to the team. And it doesn't mean anything, but yell out something like, all right, let's make up some things, like purple chicken. I was like, purple chicken, purple chicken. And you know, because I know what those little kids on the offense are going to do. What, what did we talk about? Purple chicken. They're looking for a purple chicken. They wonder what a purple chicken means. They're all caught up in the sign, and we are able to do whatever because, and, and carry out our play. But deception. And so signs can be very uh, deceptive, and so we need to guard our hearts from the trickery of the enemy. You know, um, I'm not a big baseball fan, but uh, baseball is interesting. And it actually got a little more interesting for me about uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was looking at signs and, and what have you, and, you know, the catcher signs the pitcher and what he throws. And then I thought, wow, that's very uh, interesting on the signs. It takes signs to trick or to outwit a batter. And then I looked at all these pitches. Incredible, incredible pitching. That's blowing my mind. And uh, was, the, you know, you have the enemy who throw, you know, the life. Life, people say, life's going to throw you a curveball now and then, right? And you think about that, and it's true. And the enemy does that too, but he has more than a curveball. Man, he has all the pitches, and he has them down, and they have a lot of movement, and they can really cause us to strike out. Some of the pitches are the screwball, a knuckleball, fastball, change-ups. Uh, then there's the illegal ones, like a beanball or an emery ball where you scuff the ball and stuff like this. There's the change in velocity, the trajectory, the hand position, how you hold the ball, the angle of your elbow, all these things to confuse the batter. And so when I'm looking at signs and I'm looking at what a, a pitcher does and how they work together and how it all is to make the batter strike out, there's a lot involved. And I looked at that, and I looked at the enemy and how his trickery and his deceit. And you look at a ball, and it could look like it's going to be whatever, a fastball, but it's spinning differently. There's something going on, and we strike out. And uh, so baseball kind of became a little more interesting to me after I was looking at that. But I'll say that for another time. Psalm 119, verse 10 says this, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Whole, which is Coal in, uh, in the um, Hebrew, coal means everything, totality. Giving the Lord all of our heart will guard us from having a sense of a spiritual entitlement. entitlement. Sorry. Not seeking the Lord with all your heart. That was number four. Seeking the Lord with all of our heart will guard us from all the things before, for forgetting about God, being spiritually entitled, or becoming under the influence of some mocker, or what have you. The fifth one is when we actually claim that throne of our heart. Look again at Mark 11, 8, 11. This is when we are duped. This is when we are basically sitting even smug on the throne of our heart. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. That testing is the problem. Because this testing in context here, what's taking place, is the claim for the throne of their hearts had taken place. And we can get there. When we've been duped to the point of claiming that throne and 
we start to test God. Not ask a sincere question. Not ask for the pastor to explain something or the Lord reveal something through a trial or whatever it is. This kind of test, which is uh, pirazzo is the word, is to test one's faith, to try whether a thing can be done. Now the problem here, though, is like the Pharisees and religious leaders, their minds were made up. So this test, or this uh, to try and whether a thing can be done, it's dangerous when we look at the, the heart set behind it. Their mind was already made up. They were testing with a foregone conclusion. It's like giving a test that you can't pass. And even if you did pass, it's like, well, you know, I want you to do this, this, and this. And then let's say those three things are done. Oh, but you didn't do them in the right order. I actually wanted this, and you should have known that. There's no winning. And there was no winning with the Pharisees and the Sadducees with that heart set. And we could find ourselves in a place where there's no winning. You're going to reject God because you've made up your mind. You're sitting on the throne of your heart and you're content. Your feet are kicked up and you're comfortable and you're sitting there almost smug-like. Acts 17.11 You see, there's a difference between understanding something about or testing or wanting to know something about God. For example, you have the Pharisees, right? You have the Pharisees. Um, well, let me read this verse for you. Uh, Acts 17.11. It says this. Uh, now the Bereans were more noble-minded than the, Thessalon than the Thessal Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if these teachings were true. They weren't doing this and saying like, I don't want it. They wanted to know. There was an eagerness. There was great eagerness. The Pharisees didn't have an eagerness and examining to, so they could know. It wasn't a Nicodemus heart set. It was the religious spirit heart set. Heart set. So the Pharisees versus what? Thomas. Remember Thomas? He's... he's uh, Christ is risen. He goes, I, I'm not going to believe until I see him. I'm not going to believe until then. And he saw him. He believed. It wasn't like he has to prove it to me. It was a desire to know God, to see the Lord, for the Lord to be revealed, far from what the Pharisees were, were was going on. With great eagerness, they examined the scriptures uh, daily, every day to see if these things were true. That's the difference. And you see, in Matthew's account of this, what took place, something great is, is there's even more information in Matthew's account where Jesus shares, uh, you know what, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign you're going to have is that of, of, uh, of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, in the, in the big fish. And, and he gives, in Matthew 12, you're taking notes, in Matthew 12, 38 through 40 is where he reveals that. You see, Jesus had, was, was referring to already the greatest sign and that would be the resurrection. He says, you guys should know this, basically. And so, well, let me read it. In verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it, uh, to it except a sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in, the, in three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In, verse, in chapter 16, verse 3 of Matthew, Jesus says this, you know, or in some of your translations, it says, you hypocrites, 
You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And he goes on and he's basically saying, you guys are hypocrites. Stage performers is what that word means. It means to be someone who reads a script, someone who's putting up an act. After all, all the people are watching. Let's go challenge him so that we can keep our position among the people and reject him, whatever he shows us. That's the hearts that they had. But Jesus was referring or pointing them to the greatest sign, the resurrection. And you know, in Matthew um, 28, verse 11, today we see that greatest sign took place. And this day, today we look back at it and we tell people about it. And it's continued to be rejected. Interestingly, in Matthew 28, verse 11, it says here, speak after the resurrection, as the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. And so they said, they told the soldiers, you must say, you must say, disciples came, sorry, to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while they were sleeping and they stole the body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you and you won't get in trouble. We got your back. So the guards accepted the bribe, we'll take it, and said, they were and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. Today, people are still rejecting the greatest sign of all. And Jesus still uses that sign. And how does he still use that sign today? It's all in this room of who you were and you died in Christ and you were raised new regenerated a born again believer regenerated in the spirit and we see that picture and people reject it well I know you know Steve doesn't do these things anymore and anymore he just made a change in his life I didn't make that change I couldn't make that change I tried to make that change sincerely with all the power I had in my heart and I couldn't until the Lord entered and I allowed and I surrendered and then I saw the change that's another sign that we see a changed person and so but people today are still rejecting this Mark 8 12 says this and he sighed deeply in his spirit why does this generation seek a sign truly I say to you no sign will be given to this generation a sign has been given the gift of eternal life is provided people still reject it the question for those who might be in this room or listening is why is why are you why do you need a sign you know who the lord is the lord has revealed things in man's heart so that we can know him why do you want a sign the question is do you still need a sign in 8:13 it says and he left them got into the boat again and went to the other side he left them and a strong term is being used there and so I say this the Lord will leave you where you are he's not going to grab you by the neck he's not going to drag you into heaven he's going to offer us the opportunity to follow him to be with him in glory and if you choose not to follow he's going to leave and you'll be left behind Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord 
while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their way and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. He will forgive generously. Isn't that beautiful? What the Lord does. And you know what's key is when it says banish the very thought of doing wrong that explains everything the heart set there my prayer is that that is where your heart is that you're tired of the things that you're going through the life that you're leading there's an emptiness there the bible says in second corinthians 6 1 and 2 as as partners of god we beg you do not accept the marvelous not to accept the marvelous gift of god's kindness and then ignore it to receive it and then ignore it for God says, just at the right time, I heard you on the day of salvation. I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. My prayer is that you would just surrender to the Lord today. Stop with the signs. Stop with, Lord, prove to me who you are and surrender to the one that he has already proven to be. Amen? The last verse before we pray is Acts 3.19. The, the word of God says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away your sins wiped away then the times of refreshment will come and the presence of the Lord and, and uh, from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus your appointed Messiah to have our sins wiped away times of refreshment will come so much of the world wants us, is wanting it desiring it but pride keeps them from surrendering my prayer is that this morning you would stop and surrender to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the, the fact that even now as we look at the clock, it's ticking and every second is an opportunity for someone to change and turn and surrender their life to you. Lord, I pray this morning as, as communion is being passed out, Lord, that we would recognize who you are. People who are hurting or rejecting you or sitting on the throne of their hearts, Lord, I pray that they would realize and, and, and come to you or return to you and realize that salvation is theirs to be had. Lord, I pray that you would remove the, the, the mockers from people's lives, that you would cause your word to be clear, crystal clear, because you are a fair judge. And Lord, I pray that you would have mercy. I pray, Father, you would build us up and your word would always remain in our hearts. We would not forget who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. as communion is passed out uh, and you're before the Lord you, uh, uh, go ahead and stand up if you would please as, and so communion can be passed out and as you're standing there and as you're thinking about the Lord of what he's done stop and think of the beautiful sacrifice that he provided for us let's not forget maybe not forget the day that you received the Lord and then how the changes began. How perhaps your marriage was saved. How your life may have been spared. How you endured your time in jail. Whatever your situation was. How things took a turn because of Christ entering your life. Beginning with that surrender. So as you're holding this bread and this cup, let's not forget the benefits of God. All the good that he has done for us all that he has provided for us and all that he is, will provide for us in eternal life. 
a place in glory. Your name is written in heaven if you are following Christ. If you are not following Christ, partaking of communion can be dangerous because people were becoming sick and dying when they were taking it in an unworthy manner. Let's rid the, the, the anything pharisaical in our hearts. Let's rid anything that is selfish from our hearts and in complete surrender so that, and, and repentance, turning from the things of the devil, turning to God so that you can partake of communion and have times of refreshment. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this bread. We thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross, what you accomplished on the cross. Lord, I pray that we would be continued to be changed daily, growing in our faith. Lord, as we hold this bread and we recognize and remember what you did on the cross, Lord, I pray that we would continually be excited on fire and have an eagerness that the world can't explain, regardless of our situation or the trial we're in, but because of this body that you placed on the cross and gave yourself for us, partake of the bread. And Lord, this cup that we hold that represents the blood that cleanses us from all sin, all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that as we hold this, that we would never look at it as something common, that there would be no sense of entitlement in our hearts. Lord, that on the opposite is that we don't deserve this, but in your grace, your mercy, you've provided this. Lord, we thank you for eternal life. We thank you that our names are written in heaven. And Lord, as we hold this cup, that we would also have compassion of Christ for this world, knowing that there are many that are rejecting you today. But Lord, this blood can be and is offered to them. We pray, Father, that people would change. We thank you for the change you've provided in our lives as we partake of this cup. Brothers and sisters, 